Morning, Bucknutters. It is Wednesday, April 20th, 2022. I am Dan Rubin. This is the Bucknuts Morning Five and Change. A little bit of a different approach for us this Wednesday. Usually you see Dave Biddle and the People's Champ, Matt Baxendale, in here, but we had to switch things around to go with a celebrity guest, and that is Dane Brugler, NFL draft expert for The Athletic. He has been a guest on here many times. And you guys know how I and we feel about him. I think he is the best in the business. If you are a draft geek like myself, the vision of Dane with his earphones on is probably not one you haven't seen yet. But we are going to be completely Ohio State focused today. Dane cannot uh, thank you enough for stopping by. To say you're busy right now would be a gross understatement. No, it's good to be busy. You know, we're, uh, what, a week out from the draft uh, just about. So uh, I'm excited for uh, for it to be here. But, yeah, still, still got a little bit of prep to do. Speaking of prep, Dane puts together, as someone who has an editorial background, I get sick to my stomach just looking at the thing he puts together because talk about moving parts and details. It's called The Beast. Um, if you – have any inkling of trying to get educated on the draft. This is the Bible. Um, I would venture to guess that every NFL team personnel guy has one of these in his right hand right now, or at least accessible. Give us a little sense of what it is and how people can get it. Uh, well, yeah, no details too small. Um, I think that the purpose of this guide is to be a resource. Um, you know, my, don't take my rankings as gospel. You know, like that's not, it's not what it's meant to do. It's most, it's really meant to be just a resource to understand uh, the strengths and weaknesses of these players. Um, all the testing data There's testing data for 1700 players uh, in this guide, which I, nobody else has that. Um, and you know, the, the background information um, just all the details I think is really important. And they're, they're all puzzle pieces. And I think you put all those pieces together. You have a more clear picture of who these players are going to be at the next level. So uh, yeah, if, if you have any, interest in the NFL uh, draft at all, I promise you, you will, uh, you will get something out of this guide and all you need is your athletic subscription and it's included. It's part of that. So uh, hopefully people go uh, check it out. So you heard the number 1700 in there. There's about what 30, 32 picks possible per round and seven rounds. So the idea that, you know, 1400 guys in the, in the guide won't be drafted lets you know that Dane's attention to detail is literally second to none. As a Cowboys fan, I will watch the draft through their coverage. And I can't remember the guy's name. He was a tight end from Texas a few years ago. And it stumped everybody Jeff, on the Jeff show. Jeff Swain. Jeff Swain. And you nailed it. By the way, that guy's still in the league, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Amazingly enough. All right. So we're going to go through the 10 Buckeyes that are draft eligible. We expect seven to be drafted. There are years where I think there's some doubt as to the order of the Buckeyes. I guess at the top, it's still a little bit uh, to be determined, but we're just going to go through name by name, and Dane is going to wow you with his knowledge. He's going to let you know how each guy handled the draft process, his final evaluation, then kind of where he expects them to go. 
obviously Ohio State, you're talking receivers. Um, we talked a few months ago, and I was a little bit incredulous at the beginning of the process that Garrett Wilson wasn't the clear number one receiver. Again, I'm slightly biased. He has worked himself through the process to that spot, I think. So give us the latest on uh, your vibe on Garrett Wilson as we're about a week out. Yeah, Wilson is the top receiver for for a lot of teams. It's not a consensus. Uh, you know, some teams, uh, they, they Jamison Williams, former Buckeye, is the top receiver for them. Uh, Drake London uh, is also uh, viewed as the top receiver for some teams. But Garrett Wilson is the favorite to be that first receiver off the board. And, and I, I think it comes down to his ability to get open before and after the catch. That, that's that's why he's my number one receiver. Uh, he makes the playbook come alive. Uh, he, he really does. And what he did at the combine only solidified that running in the four threes. Uh, you, you wish he were a little bit bigger. You know, he's under six foot, 183 pounds, uh, but he has length. He plays through contact. Uh, you know, he's not a, a polished route runner like Chris Olave, but he's not a slouch in that area either. And you feel like he's going to get better and better as he uh, continues to grow. So there's just, as long as you're okay with the size, uh, you're going to love Garrett Wilson as being a playmaker for your team. Where do you project him? If you're going to give a comparison, I, I always thought he's kind of a thicker, a little bit Stefan Diggs. Mm. Um, and that one thing you love about Garrett Wilson is, he doesn't really have, like you said, the height, he doesn't really have a discernible weakness. Um, I guess that's why he's the cleanest of the group. Is do you think the Diggs comparison is fair? And where do you where do you expect Garrett to land and with who? Yeah, I think that makes sense, uh, especially because Diggs is a player that can get open, and then he can also make something happen after the catch, and that's that's Garrett Wilson's mo. Um, personally, I I see a little CD Lamb, um, not as tall, uh, and Wilson's uh, you know probably a better, a little bit better athlete. But in terms of the body control, the, the catch point skills, that's where I see uh, the C.D. Lamb comparisons come in. Uh, it's very, very similar in those two areas. Uh, I, I think that uh, looking at – I've heard as early as three to the Texans, they're looking at Garrett Wilson. I don't know that he's going to go that early. I, I But I do think that the Jets, when you look at uh, pick number 10, that maybe that is where we see him come off the board. We could see him come off the board earlier, eight to Atlanta as possible. Uh, but 10, if not 10, 11 uh, to Washington, one of those two spots seemed like the most likely landing spot for, for Garrett Wilson. I don't know if you remember this. We talked about this last year. I thought Wilson in the national championship game against Pat Sertan, he cooked him a few times and feels to not get him the ball. So I don't know how that in one-on-one -on -one coverage, I'm just very high on Wilson. I actually think Wilson and Olave, believe it or not, statistically maybe aren't where they could be if they were the featured guy in another program. The one time any, and that's because there's such a depth of talent across the board, but right. the one time any receiver has literally had to become the featured guy was the Rose bowl. And we all know how that turned out for uh, Jackson Smith and the jig, but so very high. Um, and I've also been high on Garrett Wilson since day one to me, he was just, there's a certain vibe you get on guys who can come in at Ohio state and day one really look like one of the guys. And there's never been a day at Ohio state where I felt like Garrett Wilson couldn't be on the field. I'm not sure you would say that about the rest of the crew. The next guy up, Chris Olave, arguably the most productive receiver in Ohio state history. His career started with two touchdowns against Michigan and never really slowed down. 
Kind of surprised people by coming back, wanted to be a first-round draft pick, and it seems like mission accomplished. I do know the commanders love him at number 11. What's your vibe on Chris Olave? Um, he's really interesting. It's like there's some people who probably have him number one, but there's a lot of people I feel like have him number four. So break it down for us. Yeah, Olave is just not going to be for everybody in terms of what they're looking for at receiver. Because um, Olave, the big difference between Garrett Wilson and Olave for me is Olave, Olave just is not going to give you much after the catch. That that to me like that that's a, that's a big deal. Um, you know, he's not going to break tackles. Uh, now he can get open. He can win deep. He has that type of speed. He has that type of uh, you know route prowess. But uh, after the catch is not where his strengths are. So, you know, you're not going to use him as an underneath guy, catch and run opportunities. Um, the lack of physicality uh, is something that will show up from time to time with him. So those two things. So you're looking at a guy that's more of a possession threat, a guy that can win vertically. And, you know, it's just every team's looking for something a little bit different in their receivers. So Alave, you know, I, he could go 11 to, to Washington. That's possible. That's probably the earliest we could see him off the board. We could also see him, uh, you know, as late as the 20s. Uh, would not be surprised at all to see him, uh, you know, 22 to the Packers. Uh, if he gets to the 24, Cowboys would be interested. So Olave, there's plenty to like. I mean, he is a pro-ready receiver, and that's a big deal for a lot of teams. There's maybe less projection with Olave. Like, you know what you're getting. He's wrapped in clear wrapping paper. So you know what, you know, what, what you have with Olave. And even though he does have some, uh, you know, some areas where you wish you were a little bit better, uh, knowing what you have in terms of his routes, in terms of his speed, in terms of uh, what he can do at the catch point, that's uh, that's certainly a strong selling point and something that I know teams will be uh, uh, very, very interested to bring into their wide receiver room. Yeah, I don't think he'll get there, but if he goes in the later than the 20s or such, to me, he's like the last piece of an offense for a team that's really ready to go that next step. He's a plug-and-play type. What do you make of this point? It was actually made by Jeff Cavanaugh, who does his own stuff now around Dallas and is a draft, I don't know what you'd call Jeff these days, draft guy. Yeah. But he made the point that he thinks receivers, almost like running backs, the plug-and-play aspect of Olave might be attractive because, yes, he's going to get paid first-round money, but the really elite receivers now, I don't think guys want to pay them. So they're getting rid of these guys after five years anyway. If you get a plug-and-play first-round guy financially, he would be a decent investment for those five years. Do you think the plug-and-play aspect for Olave and even Wilson has really kind of amped their stock? Well, yeah, I mean, and not only just those two players. I mean, we're, we're, we might have six, seven, uh, eight receivers go first round uh, because of that. Uh, and, you know, we've seen wide receivers now the second most expensive position in right. the NFL. So it's, you know, a lot of teams are going to look at it and say, okay, well, let's get younger, let's get cheaper. And mm -hmm. part of it's that, but part of it's just a, it's a really good, it's a top-heavy wide receiver class this year. So, you know, that that certainly, uh, you know, helps Olave, helps Garrett Wilson. Both these guys, I mean, but regardless, these are first-round talents. So, you know, both are going to go top 25. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, where exactly they fall. In Vegas, the real good bet would be who goes higher Garrett Wilson or Jackson Smith and Jigba next year by number. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's tough because obviously you just don't know. There's so much between now and then um, in terms of, you know, who's going to be picking uh, what, what's uh, what, what's uh, uh, what's he going to do this year for Ohio state. Um, I don't, 
I don't know that he's going to be a, a top 10 guy. I don't think he's going to be viewed like that, but I think he's, you know, going to be viewed as a, a potential first rounder, no doubt. He will go in the first round. That I am sure of. All right, next guy up. I actually thought when this guy got here, he would be picked higher. And that is Nicholas Petit Frere out of uh, the Tampa area. was arguably the number one. He was number one offensive lineman in some rankings. What's your thoughts? Do you project him as a left tackle, as a right tackle? And uh, where do you see him coming off the board? Uh, I, I think somewhere in the third round is probably the, the landing spot for T. Freire. Uh, so, you know, 6'5", 315. Uh, I thought he would test a little bit better at the combine. He tested okay. Uh, but, you know, for, uh, this is a guy that you would think the athleticism, the movement skills, that's that's what you hang your hat on. And so I thought he would have done a little bit better with the testing. Um, and it, it's curious, you know, his vertical was six inches uh, better at the pro day than the combine. And so it's, you know, try to reconcile those numbers is uh, a little difficult, but bouncy gym at the whack. Yeah, six inches though is a lot. So I don't, I, I don't, I, you know, maybe just let his fingernails grow out a little bit more uh, for the pro day. Uh, but you know, whatever it is, hey, it, it, the higher, the better. Um, but you know, there's, there's still plenty of development left. You know, he, he's a guy that uh, he was he, what 260 some pounds when he enrolled as a freshman. So he had a red shirt, uh, and then the past uh, two years, we saw him start at right tackle, then go to left tackle. And you see a guy with the, the frame that you want. He has uh, he has the movement skills, but he, he does need to get stronger. His I do have co- the core strength. Uh, th- there are concerns there. The anchor, uh, there are concerns there. And then just his technique. So he's a, he's not ready for NFL reps. He's not ready to line up and go up against, uh, you know, TJ Watt. Uh, but if you give, if, you know, bring him into your program, develop him, uh, probably for, for most of his rookie year, maybe he's competing for a starting uh, job, uh, later this season going into year two. So I think you have a guy with starting upside, a lot of things that project well, and that's why he's uh, a good chance to land somewhere in the top 100. Right or left, you think? The fact that he's played both, I think, gives you that, um, you know, it's a feather in his cap that he could play either spot. Uh, that, you know, you bring him in and uh, depending on what your team needs, I don't think that you're, uh, you know, going to pigeonhole him on only one spot. I think he gives you that position flex. Okay, so I've done my research on this with Dane, and he and I are going to be in extreme agreement of the next prospect, and that is Jeremy Ruckert, tight end, who – you know, there's a running joke we have at Ohio State that started back with uh, Jake Stoneburner, which was 30 receptions. And it doesn't sound like a lot, but if you get 30 receptions at Ohio State, you know, you're ready for the Hall of Fame. He did not get it. But Ruckert, you know, when he came in, he was the highest rated tight end they'd ever gotten a commitment from. He had a day at the Elite 11 back in the day where he was the number one offensive player on the field. Now, like we said, he wasn't featured offensively, but he is kind of, it seems like we're going away from the do it all tight end. We're going to receivers and kind of then your, your extra, your sixth offensive lineman. And he's got a chance to do a little of both. And I know you're real high on him. Yeah, I am. And this is a tight end class where we're not going to have a first round pick. We might not have a top 50 pick, but round three, round four, that's where we're going to see a lot of tight ends come off the board. And I think Jeremy Ruckert's one of the best. Um, he's going to be a better pro than he, what we saw in college. Um, and it's not that he, you know, people will look at the production, 54 career catches and kind of, you know, roll their eyes and, you know, they're not interested, but I mean, it's just the way that offense is and, you know, the, the targets that the receivers get, uh, the run game and, but Jeremy Rucker played a lot of snaps. So he was used as a blocker. Uh, he ran routes and when he was targeted, 
good things happened. So uh, with Jeremy Ruckert, I, I'm a fan. I think that soft hands, uh, the way he can work the middle of the field, he's got seam speed. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of things that say Jeremy Ruckert's going to be a productive pro. So I think he, I think he's a day two pick. I, I think a team somewhere probably in the third round. It, the foot injuries hurt him a little bit. Uh, he injured his foot uh, at the at the uh, at the Senior Bowl, so he missed the final day there. That he couldn't work out at the combine, couldn't work out the pro day. So I think that's hurt him a little bit, just uh, in terms of not being able to show his athleticism. But uh, I, I think this is still a guy that's locked into day two, and the team's going to get a pretty good player. Yeah, tight end guy, guys don't get picked very high. They just don't unless they're a freak. And uh, third round, you can get yourself a plug-and-play guy. I mean, I really think Ruckert is probably a plug-and-play guy. I mean, it depends on, obviously, the team he goes to. But I'm just, you know, I always see everything through a Cowboys tainted lens. And he could absolutely come in and take reps away from uh, Dalton Schultz today or tomorrow. All right, next up, offensive lineman Thayer Munford, position flex. Yeah, you know, a guy that plays plenty of tackle, obviously. Uh, I do think his best spot will be guard. Um, I, I'm not as high on, on Munford as, as maybe um, some others. Uh, I've got him as more of a uh, a day three player, fourth, fifth round. Uh, you know, we'll see where he ends up. 6'6", 330. Uh, you love the length over 35-inch arms. Um, you know, there's uh, the, the experience factor. He's played in, what, 54 games over his career. Uh, senior captain. You know, he had the block O jersey. So a lot of things in his favor. Uh, but, you know, he's a guy that can be a little inconsistent, uh, you know, especially with his footwork. Um, there's some stiffness to to his uh, to his past sets. Um, so I, I – for a guy that has that many games played under his belt, I expected someone to be just a little bit more, uh, a little quicker in terms of recognizing things, in terms of what the defense is doing and what he need, how he needs to react. So I think that uh, the inconsistencies that that's going to be an issue for him, and it might stop him from you know being a starter anytime soon. But you've got a guy with size, with length, played a lot of football. Uh, he has balance to him. So I think that he can come in, be a, a depth piece, and then eventually work his way into competing for a starting job. To me, he just screams swing lineman. Yeah. Uh, the pedigree, I mean, he played great high school football. And then to play at Ohio State as much as he did, and he's definitely a tough, strong dude. So, and, you know, you play in front of the shoe with those expectations. It does feel like he's just a perfect swing guy. Next up. Haskell Garrett, interesting prospect. He does the one thing that makes defensive linemen get picked really high, which is get to the quarterback. But I'm not sure he's as good against the run as the guys who get picked up there. Your thoughts on Haskell? Uh, you know, another guy that I'm just not as high on, uh, and really it's because I expected him to get to the quarterback more. Um, you know, I uh, he had well, I think five and a half sacks, which is a solid number. Um, you see upfield quickness, uh, but if he doesn't win with that first step, with that uh, that initial uh, burst off the ball, he really has a tough time uh, countering uh, blocks, stacking and shedding. Um, and, and then uh, there are questions against the run as well. So uh, I, I like Haskell Garrett. I, I think that uh, somewhere on day three, uh, you know, he's going to be uh, drafted to be a probably a backup three technique in the league. But I'm just not sure he's ever going to have the – uh, the, the consistency as an upfield penetrator that teams are looking for as their starting three technique. But I do think as part of a rotation, as part of, uh, you know, can round out a depth chart, he can stay in the NFL uh, for a long time. 
but I, I, I still, I just, I expected a little more juice after I got done watching his tape. Yeah, I probably should have said this as a point of reference. Uh, the, the, the draft is three days. Day one, Thursday is the first round. Day two, correct me if I'm wrong, is rounds two and three. And right. day three is rounds four through seven. So when they say day three, it just means uh, four through seven. Day two is a good pick now. Two, second, third round. That that used to be kind of a, you see a day two guy. It wasn't as, as much of a compliment as it is now. All right. Here is a guy, defensive end, who... I could put together a highlight film of this guy and probably get people thinking he's a second or third round draft pick. Unfortunately, the rest of the plays and his total package would probably not do that. And so I don't think he's going to be a second or third round draft pick. And that's defensive end Tyreek Smith. And it's also um, you know, worth noting that the edge rusher class this year is the deepest we've seen in a long, long time. We're going to see pass rushers come off the board very quickly in the first round but then it's not going to slow down second round, third round, fourth round. And so that'll hurt uh, a guy like uh, Tyreek Smith a little bit, who uh, is my 24th ranked edge rusher. And I mean, if you would have asked me where he would have ranked, I would have said, I oh, probably, you know, 14, 15. But when you stack all these guys, it's just, there's just such a volume of talented edge rushers in this class. Smith, you feel like there's still, um, you know, there, there's still a good chance he's yet to play his best football. Six, three mm-hmm. and a half, 254 pounds. Uh, has length to him. Uh, you like the way he can get upfield with that arc speed. He can bend. He can dip. Um, he, he can cross the face of blockers. Uh, he uses that length to set an edge against the run game. So, I mean, there, there's plenty to like, but, you know, eight sacks in his career. Uh, you expected a little more than that. Only three last season as a full-time starter. Um, it just didn't make enough, enough big plays, especially in the backfield that you want to see from a guy like that. So, uh, he needs to get better with his pass rush sequence, having a, a consistent plan, patching those moves together. Um, so, uh, again, once he gets, uh, you know, more coaching in the NFL and starts to hopefully put things together, uh, you know, he has a chance to ascend and be a better player than we saw at Ohio State. He's one of those guys that if he can stay healthy and if he goes to the right spot, I think he's got a much better chance. But he's also one of those guys that you could see just kind of never really finding his fit. Um, okay, there's three guys who are also draft eligible that aren't predicted to get drafted by some people. And that is Master Teague, Antoine Jackson, and Demario McCall. Master Teague, you know what? I I, Just watching him, I was not a huge fan of his running style. I just, there wasn't enough make you miss that, uh, you know, for a bigger guy, you know, he he runs with a little bit of power, but not enough that I think, uh, you know, is going to see him get drafted. But, after his pro day, uh, you just never know uh, because you know teams are looking for guys that are reliable, guys that can play special teams, and a, a guy like uh, like Master Teague, who has plenty of experience uh, and, and tested the way he did, he might be a fit. Uh, you know, you look at the pro day numbers: five eleven, two hundred twenty pounds, ran a four four four, a thirty six inch vert, six nine five three cone. I mean, these are outstanding numbers: size, speed. That's what some NFL teams are looking for on special teams. And so uh, Master T could be a sneaky late draft pick. If not, then he's going to be a PFA, no doubt, a guy that's going to come in and uh, compete for a roster spot, try to round out that running back room, uh, but then also uh, you know, uh, fight for a job on special teams. That'll be his ticket to sticking uh, in the NFL. Demario McCall, I don't know that he ever uh, really lived up to uh, what a lot of people thought he might be at Ohio State, just you know, be that. 
uh, whether it's that running back or receiver, just be at that athletic playmaker. Um, you know, he, he, his pro day wasn't as impressive. He ran in the four fives um, for a guy that size, not, not great. Um, so, you know, McCall's going to get into a camp, no doubt. And then um, who's the third? That you Antoine Jackson. Antoine Jackson. Yeah. Who, you know, another guy that had a lot of hype, I thought, uh, but, oh, yeah. you know, as a recruit, but it just never really materialized for him. Mm. Uh, you know, he, he saw action and he just was never really able to make the, uh, you know, that big of an impact. And so he, he'll be an undrafted guy, but uh, another guy with size, uh, another guy with, uh, with some potential. And so that'll get him into a camp and, and give him a chance. Okay. Two other guys I want to talk about, and then maybe we'll take a few questions from uh, the users, but I think there's two other interesting storylines that you could relate to Ohio state. One is Jamison Williams, who has been super interesting to Ohio State fans, I think, just because, and this is more a question for you than me, but I cannot remember a guy transferring and being that good that quickly, you know, when he really didn't show much of that at Ohio State, and it was immediate. I mean, he was their main guy immediately. And then um, he was ranked ahead of, by some people, he's going to be ranked ahead of, you know, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. And he was going to be the fourth string guy. I know people can't get their minds around that. That's a fact. Um, one thing I will say about Jameson Williams, if you already like him, go back and watch his high school tape. He is the fiercest hitter from the secondary. I mean, he is not a soft guy. I almost thought they should have played him at safety. That's not a lie. When he was going to be the fourth string guy, I'm like, maybe we should move him to safety. That's how good he was. I mean, he is a tough guy. I wonder if someone would have been able to sit in a room with Ryan Day and Brian Hartline and have the same discussion and tell them the guy they had for string was the best one. Don't you think that's kind of an, have you ever seen anything kind of develop in this fashion? And what do you think of Jameson? No, I know it's a really unique situation um, where, I mean, we're, we're talking about really talented guys here. You know, it's, you know, in a lot of ways, we're just, uh, uh, you know, kind of parsing these guys. Based it's off a LeBron Jordan things. argument. Yeah, I mean, it's it's something that you have a really talented room, and it's not as clear cut as, as anybody wants to make it. Um, you know, with Jamison Williams, he's always had the speed, and you know, in that Alabama offense, he was really able to show it. Uh, you know, he had Alabama's eleven longest plays last year. He was responsible for ten of them. Uh, I mean, this guy has just ridiculous speed, and that speed, and it's not just speed. He's not just a track guy out there. You see it in his routes, uh, catches the ball well. He's got length. Um, a really competitive guy, like you, like you said. Uh, but a lot of teams are going to bet on that speed because uh, that's that's what NFL teams are focused on, and and that that could be the difference maker. So um, you know, it, it, for Ohio State, their job isn't to play the most NFL, uh, you know, exactly. the guys with the best NFL potential. Like that's not that's not what they're thinking about. They're thinking about who's going to help us win football games. And you know, what are you going to do? Sit Chris Olave? Of course not. You know, I mean, the the guys that were playing in front of Jamison Williams. Uh, you know, we're doing so because they were they were producing, and it, it's just a one of those situations where it's an embarrassment of riches. And we've seen it other places where uh, a guy's maybe blocked a little bit. I mean, Jermaine Johnson this past year, he was at mm. Georgia last year, and you know, the part of a rotation, uh, and he was good when on the field, but he just couldn't get enough reps. He goes to Florida State. He's the ACC Player of the Year. Uh, it led the, led the league in sacks and tackles for a loss. He's going to be a top fifteen pick now. So it's a very similar situation there. So uh, you know, it's just a, it's just a case of a, a crowded room, uh, not enough reps, and a guy 
moving on and, and you know no ill will no uh you know wasn't with an, mm. any animosity anything like that it's just uh, a chance to get more reps and it worked out uh so i don't i don't think that uh you know i don't think ohio state fans are, are bitter about it by any means because you know it's it's not like ohio state was deficient at wide receiver this year <laughs> uh in any way so uh it's good to see jameson williams go have success and it'll be interesting to see uh you know watch their careers moving forward as I was sitting here, I remembered a certain quarterback transfer that had success after he left Ohio State. Yeah, it wasn't immediate. You know, it took a Truth. little bit. You know, that that first that's revisionist year. history, by the way. Yeah, what's that? Uh, you know, and Dwayne is unfortunately oh, yeah. passing has been terrible, but um, we had some technical difficulties when we first started doing the live show. So I keep a list of topics at my ready here in case I got to uh, go solo. And one of the things revisionist history wise is people thinking they should have just definitely picked Joe Burrow over Dwayne Haskins. Go look at their stats the year after. I think uh, one through 50 touchdown passes, and I think Burrow threw 16. Yeah. So, but listen, I'm the biggest Joe Burrow fan there is, but the idea that that was a faulty decision is revisionist history. Okay, last guy I want you to discuss, and maybe we'll take one or two questions here if we can keep it under 30 minutes, which we won't be able to, unfortunately. No questions. At Ohio State's Pro Day, uh, Garrett Wilson was running routes. CJ Stroud was running routes. They were looking very good. However, the most calls we got from sources was about the individual throwing them the football. Mm. And that is CJ Stroud. When you hear talk of the draft, half the league is, is talking about how they're going to get Bryce Young and CJ Stroud next year. If they go back in the draft, unfortunately 13 teams can't split two guys. Your thoughts on Stroud uh, where you project them, and then your early vibe on Stroud versus Bryce Young, which is going to be the most talked about uh, player comparison. You're, you're, it's really very similar to Fields and Lawrence, Californians or, uh, or Georgians, kind of compared to each other, competing teams. You have the floor. Yeah, no, C.J. Stroud to me is going to be the top quarterback going into next year, um, a top quarterback prospect. He has that type of – you know what he did last year – uh, he has that type of pedigree, um, the anticipation that he plays with. The offense, does it help him? Sure. I mean, throwing to those receivers and having an offensive mind like Ryan Day and just all the support system, the, the running game, all of that helps C.J. Stroud, no doubt. Um, and, and obviously it helps Bryce Young with what he has going on in Alabama. But I think C.J. Stroud, the throws that he can make, um, the, the comfort level that he feels in the pocket, the way that he doesn't really seem to get rattled all that much, especially for a redshirt freshman, uh, I mean, he going into next year, he is the top quarterback prospect uh, in the nation. So it's going to be really fun to see his maturation after a full year under his belt, to see what he looks like. Um, you know, I, I, I can't wait to, to watch that Ohio State offense in the fall. No question. 30 minutes and 20 seconds, and I had Dane for 30 minutes. So this extra 20 seconds, Dane's like a lawyer. This is going to cost our site big. But we just, Dane is the best in the business. You saw that, people. He did not skip a beat. And there was about 1,650 other prospects I could have asked him about, and he would have nailed those as well. He works for The Athletic. Like we said, if you have any draft interest, you need to get the beast. It is a great thing to have, actually, during the season as well as a point of reference. Dane, we appreciate you stopping by, man. Thanks again. Anytime, as always. Glad to do it.